0: We are still brimming from the overflow from last week and uh, it's just been phenomenal it's been so impactful so investful there's an investiture that has taken place into our hearts a divestiture from god's part and an investiture into us that makes us all the more richer i I want you to be aware of uh, spiritual dynamics Uh, sometimes transactions take place In the realm of spirit that is not readily sort of quantifiable or not even discernible but you know that things shifted even though you cannot adequately give description to it but you know there's been a definite shift i was once at a particular place but now i'm no longer there and uh, that has been the sense of my personal experience that things have shifted Uh, for me uh, i would like to describe one aspect of it There's been a definite, uh, far more uh, penetrative understanding of the Scriptures. I've just noted this week in reading the Bible. It's just amazingly just blown up to to a new level. And uh, that I accord to the reception of grace from contexts like ALS that simply expand the mind. They just throw things wide open and you come into a new place of being able to read penetratively with understanding the things of the law and of the lord amen and so the bible is not a boring book how many of you love the scriptures amen we love the bible it's central to everything we do and uh i was just reading um the account of david's growth today uh from his the moment that he was anointed by jesse as king of israel in his own household um with the in the presence of brothers and how that escalated to a tribal anointing under Judah. And then ultimately, the whole nation of Israel recognized him as the, uh, as the king of Israel. Just those three stages. And what happens between each stage as preparatory to the next one. You know, and the Lord has given me a whole series of messages just from reading that account. It's stuff I've never seen concerning Hebron before. But like at, at Hebron, Pastor Thamma mentions the topic. And uh, it's been my experience with my father in the law that whenever I hear him, I receive the content of what he says. But similarly, too, I receive pin codes, secrets. Just like you'll say one thing, that's a key for me to see a whole lot of other scriptures in a completely different light, even divorced from what the content of what he's saying. But he gives keys, okay? And I want, you to, I want to encourage you to hear the same. Hear beyond the theme, hear beyond the content. Sometimes when we minister, we give you hermeneutical keys to unlock other aspects of the Scripture that God wants to give you light into. OK? And, and that, that is a profound experience. We were speaking uh, I want to kick off directly from Sunday. Uh, we were speaking in this segment of the grace of God, on how that it's so important to dwell near one's spiritual Father in Christ to be able to receive a a new level or quality of the grace of God that would not ordinarily be accessed. So grace is freely available to all. I really believe that. It could be accessed by all men in any context. But if you want the deeper things of God, you have to position yourself for the reception of quantums of grace and qualities of grace that would not ordinarily be accessed outside of those principles. One of the principles we've been teaching is that the most efficient and efficacious flow of grace is within a particular relational economy called Father and Son. If you locate yourself as a spiritual father in reference to a spiritual son, there's a quantum and quality of grace that is accessible there that is not accessible outside of that economy. Okay, so it's a, it's a wineskin, if you would, designed for God to release grace to you. And there are many principles governing that relationship, which we have discussed. Of recent, we've been speaking about the essential to dwell near. Everyone say nearness. So Jesus ordained the twelve that they might be with Him. They had to be near Him uh, for there to be a very powerful flow of the grace of God from Him them similarly between paul and timothy timothy had to be proximate had to be in close proximity to his father in the lord same is true of elisha towards his father e elijah you could track this between esther and mordecai between ruth and naomi as well john mark and and peter paul himself and people like titus and timothy in the new covenant joshua and moses Every significant father-son example in the Bible had attendant with it a unique flow or download of grace that people outside of that relationship did not come into. But those individuals came into it simply because of nearness. Everyone say nearness. Say proximity. And that is what I've been stressing. And while there are many sort of, how do you interpret this practically? Practically. While there are many practical expressions of it, the one thing I stress is that you are as near to your spiritual father as near as you are to the word that he brings. This has got very little to do with physical proximity. While physical proximity is a real factor. So that, for example, you should come to meetings when your father in the Lord calls it. Why? Because in that context where He preaches the word to you, there's the engagement. Uh, every time the word is released, the flow of grace takes place. Okay, But you could be physically present, yet absent in your heart. Right? So it's not purely about faithfulness at meetings to show yourself present, to, to mark yourself present. It's about how close, how proximate are you to the word that He brings. And so when i say that that will demand of you for example hear the word as often as you can meditate on that word i'll speak more to these things in the next two or three weeks meditate on that word uh, rehearse it don't hear it once hear it over and over again and we make ample provision for it by our recordings Uh, all our teachings are accessible by cd audio recording and even on our website so you could engage the word on a repetitive basis until a sufficient amount of faith is built up in you for you to obey that word okay and so and then the, the, the quintessential is this to obey the word yeah so for me you are as close to me as the level of your obedience to the word that i bring to you is okay that's how near you are you're not near because your are buddies with me no you are near dependent on the degree to which you're obedient to the word that we carry okay that is the the bedrock of it that's the, like the the quintessential there are other aspects like supporting um, your father in the lord in the purpose that god has called him to like elisha washed elisha's hands and hands speak of in the word of god execution of purpose the right hand of the lord does valiantly so when you think of hand you think of doing the hand does valiantly so when is washing elijah's hands the bible says he ministers unto him if the hand is an expression of doing then the spiritual son elisha is preparing his father's hands or facilitating his execution of the will of the lord in his life right i'll speak more uh, in great detail of this this dynamic much later in the series I'm just mentioning these things now. Of recent, we've been demonstrating that there is the need for spiritual fathers to which one should be related. Uh, to whom one is submitted. that person is over you in the Lord. Not in a dominatory, hierarchical, authoritarian sense. But according to Hebrews, He is watching over you specifically for your Soul. You know that you are bo- your spirit, soul, and and body. So spiritual fathers, the Bible calls the heavenly father the father of your spirits, not so? Your spirit. But what is the most out-of-sync thing about you in your life? Your soul. The most the most the most the thing in your life that is out of joint with the will of the Lord for your life is your soul. Your soul is your mind, how you think, your will, how you decide. And your emotions, how you feel. And according to Hebrews 13.7 and 13.17, it says that we must submit ourselves to our leaders. Why? Because they watch over which part of us? They watch over our soul. Uh, I don't have time to, to, to go to the mechanics of this, but you'll find this in our teachings on the spiritual man. And there I explain this over eight or nine sessions, this dynamic. The dynamic works like this. A father in the Lord... Speaks the word of God to you, and biblically, Jesus said that word is spirit and life. You are spirit, soul, and body. You must receive the word that He brings with your spirit, not with your soul or your body, right? Because spiritual things must be received in the platform that is most compatible to the source and the medium by which it's communicated. Let me explain it. I'll say it again. Spiritual things. To be received adequately must be received on a platform that is compatible with the source from which it comes and the medium by which it comes. Simply put, what are you? Essentially, you are spirit. That's your platform I'm talking about. The platform upon which you receive spiritual things must be spirit. Who is the source? God who is? God is spirit. And how does He bring that to you? He communicates that via... Words. Jesus said, the words I speak are what? Are spirit and life. So everything spirit, the source, the medium of communication, which is word, is spirit, must be received on the platform of your being, which is your spirit part of you, not your intellect, not the mind of the soul. A lot of people reject God's word because they're trying to work it out cognitively, intellectually. I've discovered this, and I demonstrated this adequately in that series. Very often when you hear the word of the Lord, the mind of your spirit is saying, Yes, yes, I resonate, I concur. This is true, but the mind of the soul that has been influenced by various things, either, and a lot of things erroneously so, will sometimes rebel against what is being communicated to you, in the realm of spirit. That is why meditation, which is another series we, are, we have on the table, an eight-week part of meditation I did, the meditative process where the Son of God employs His mind to ponder or to think or to revolve the mind over and over of the things He's received from the Word of God. It's so important. Why? That process will align the mind of your soul to the mind of your spirit. Spirit. So, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. You are spirit, soul, and body. All it takes to get three parts of you in alignment is in agreement with any two parts of you. Yeah? Can two walk together unless they be? Agreed. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So, where does obedience occur? Obedience occurs in my Body. But if I can bring agreement uh, between the mind of my spirit and the mind of my soul, and if those two dynamics agree, every word will be established in my body. And in my body, I will be able to obey God. That's why the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in? If the mind of the soul is rebelling against the mind of the spirit, you will get an unstable person right and there'll be no sort of anchor no certainty no consolidation no assurance no sure-footedness in how you walk in your body obediently to the lord okay that process is very very important now having said all that to say this uh that's like compressing sessions and sessions of explanation right i want to now demonstrate yes it is important to have a spiritual father to which you are proximate right to which you you draw near it's important to recognize that person to honor them to esteem them highly in the lord and to be submissive to the word that they carry they don't act mediatorially they act representatively i'm not a mediator between you and god there's only one mediator the man jesus christ don't confuse the fathering role as a meditatorial role. It's not meditatorial. It's simply representative. Yes. So I represent the heavenly father to you. Everyone here has direct access to God without me. We're not deifying men, okay? I know in some quarters they, they, they preach fathering with this view, and it's totally erroneous. it's, it's almost borders on idolatry, right? Uh, I want to say this for the record as well, for the recording. There's one heavenly father that is your father. I'm not really anybody's father. I just stand representatively to represent God in terms of how he will father you. So you must put spiritual fathering in its correct context. Lest those that have an inaccurate or warped view about it attempt to displace the heavenly father in the lives of the sons of God. As Thammer often said, you can have a spiritual father, but if you don't have an intimate relationship with God, your heavenly father, you are still an orphan. Yeah? In fact, it's the, it's the job of spiritual fathers to lead spiritual sons into intimacy with the heavenly father. Okay? So who's Ruth's spiritual father? Naomi. Which relationship produces Obed or Boaz Oh, sorry. Which relationship produces Obed? It's Ruth's relationship with Boaz that produces Obed. Who is Boaz a representation of? Christ, the Father, right? Right? So Naomi's role is to father Ruth into intimacy with Boaz to produce something in the earth that changes the course of human history forever. So the spiritual father's role, I'm to guide Darrell in terms of her relationship with Father. That relationship was going to be productive and produce stuff in the earth that will impact the earth forever. So my role is just uh, a guide. And I'm watching over that in the area of a soul. It's always aligned to the word of God, which is spirit from a God with spirit coming to her spirit. I'm making sure, Darrell, how is your soul lining up with all of this? Bring your soul into alignment, into agreement, and in your body, walk obediently and get the results. Yes. Right? Get the results. Now, for the rest of the time, he okay, we went off a bit the tangent there, but I think it was necessary. For all of that, uh, with that background, you need to understand what we need to focus on now. Because I pray the spirit of revelation and understanding grips you. If you don't have an understanding and a revelation of a thing, you'll never be empowered to obey the thing. Yes. The moment you see it is the moment you can walk into it. The moment you understand it is, I I think your understanding of a thing is the process of your empowerment to do the thing. If you understand something, right? The Bible says that uh, Abraham believed God and he was fully persuaded. We've got to migrate from belief to being fully persuaded. He who is fully persuaded can never ever be dissuaded away from that position. You see, you can believe, but your belief must grow into an a internal firm conviction away from which you will never be uh, spoken out of. Yeah, Tell you never be fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. I'm fully persuaded. Don't just believe, I'm fully persuaded. When I say I'm fully persuaded, you can, you can get me from, I can go from belief to unbelief. I can The pendulum can swing the other way. But if I take my belief and I migrate to being fully persuaded, Persuaded, once I get there, it's virtually impossible for me to go back. He was fully persuaded, Roman says, that um, he who promised will produce. I'm just paraphrasing, right? Being fully persuaded that what God said he was able to do, no one could have talked him out of the fact that he is a father of nations, even though he doesn't have one son. His whole structure, his whole mentality, I am a father, in the absence of any physical evidence. I don't just believe. I've become fully persuaded. Right? That God calls those things, the Bible says He was fully persuaded that God which calls those things which are not as though they are. Come on, ask anybody, are you fully persuaded? Fully persuaded. Now, I want you to be fully persuaded about what we're going to speak about this evening. It's basically a continuation from Sunday's message. Sunday I spoke to you of how the, the men of David recognize him as a father in the nation remember they recognized him as a father in the nation and there was this growing support around him first from his brothers um, Jesse came to his house and anointed him as king the next king of Israel even while Saul was alive so watch there was an anointing for kingship in the presence of households in the presence of brothers in a domestic household. And the only witnesses. Was a prophet. A father. And seven other brothers. He is the eighth brother. That witness. That this is the will of God. For his life. And then later on. I'll show you the scriptures in a moment. Maybe we should go there. Now. Later on. In 2 Samuel chapter 2 verse 4. Um, David was from the tribe of. Judah and the men from Judah came and they, they witnessed to his kingship. Then the men of Judah came and anointed king over the house of Judah. And so where is he king over? Over which domain? The house of Judah. In, you see, he's king of Israel. He's anointed by, by the prophet Samuel as king of Israel in his father Jesse's house by the prophet Samuel the witnesses were brothers and his father is present it takes this is the second anointing David had three distinct anointings for kingship first one was in the house the second one was at Hebron uh, this is after Saul died now he's at Hebron and Judah the men of Judah came there and they anointed David king over the house of Judah so who was the leader of the tribe of Judah at this stage it's David, right? He's commanding leadership, not just over a house. Jesse is also part of the tribe of Judah. So in the house, the brothers recognize him as king. You're going to be our next king, even though you're a light Hebrew. Right? Remember, Eliab was the older brother. And when David came to the battle where Goliath was taunting the tribes of Israel, the older brother said, You mischievous, what are you doing here? Right? Our light Hebrew? But didn't you know? I'm just reminding this older brother when I see him one day. Didn't you, weren't you there in the house when the guy got anointed? And you, okay, you're obviously questioning his youth. He's still a youth and you're on the battlefield. Go and look after dad's sheep, right? And um, obviously he slays Goliath and he's elevated to kingship. He's targeted by Saul. He runs. He's a fugitive. The men of Judah support him and. After a season, they come to recognize, hey, this is the next king. So there was household recognition. Now there's tribal recognition. So the, the, the awareness of who he is migrates away from the house now to the, to the tribe. Right? So there's tribal awareness that, hey, this is the guy. This is the leader that we must be proximate to. This is the leader we must plug into. This is the leader that's going to father us. Yeah, his word, submit to him. It was a recognition by the tribe of Judah. And they told David, saying, It was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul, so, right? Then later on in the next chapter, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, sorry, uh, three chapters down, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3. Let's see from verse 1. Get the context. All the tribes of Israel, say all the tribes. Now it's not just, you see, it was first Jesse's household, then the tribe of. Judah, which is one of twelve tribes. Now all twelve tribes come. All twelve tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Who said this? To who? Who reminds what who does this, these words remind you of? Adam and Eve. Remember? When, when, when Adam slept and God made Eve from his from his rib. I mean, Adam never saw a species like this. I don't know how many years he was on the planet before Eve was fashioned. Eh? For years he was out without female. Just him and some, some animals. And his business was naming everything. And, and his naming was naturing. What Adam named, he natured. He called an ant an ant because he, 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 by his name he configured its function. That's why an ant is not called an elephant. Adam decided that. He called an elephant. And doesn't the name just fit? right? Adam, our forefather, was brilliantly minded. We're going to get back to the pre-fall state. Don't worry, we're getting back there. I can't imagine the mind of an unfallen man. The whole classification of botany, zoology, chemistry, this man knew just like that, right? What 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 a species God made, right? So he was into naming things. So he sleeps one day, he wakes up, and wow, this creature he's never seen before in his life. Right? And typical to his nature, he names things. First thing out of his mouth, wow, man. <laughs> or oh, whoa, man. <laughs> I think it was more wow than whoa. <laughs> he says, wow, man. You will be called womb, the man with the womb. The man that gets able to receive seed and procreate. That's what he did. I nature you. I name you. I nature your function. I determine your operation in the earth. Uh, he is the male, she is the female. The male with the fetus, that's female, right? Ability to carry seed and procreate. Right? And, and he, he, he said, first things, you are bone of my bone, and you are flesh of my flesh. What he's saying is, I've never seen, of all the creatures I've named throughout the entire earth all this while, I've never seen someone just like me. You are actually part of me. I think by revelation in you, the Lord God God did not make you as He made me. He made me by fashioning dust from the earth and breathing life into me. But I can discern He made you from me. With that revelation, the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. Behold, we are your bone. And what are they saying? They're saying, we see by God's de- that God's design from eternity past, we issue forth from your loins. We, we, we are offsprings, literally, of every grace configuration that God has placed in you. So we can never define ourselves outside of you. Because they're saying similar words. We are so intimate, we are so one. And this is what I want to encourage the, the church with. Uh, you must realize that God sets members in the body as He chooses. Yes. Do you know that your placement in any local church to be part of a local body of Christ is the choosing of the Lord? Yeah? Yes, God can set up processes that lead you here, but ultimately your placement is of God's choice and design. Yes. And I would like to think that, uh, you see, the father-son commitment is a long-term thing. It's literally lifelong. Ruth said to Naomi, um, Your God is my God. Your people are my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord God uh, do to me even worse, if nothing but death separates between you and you and me. Okay? And I want to encourage you that if you get a revelation of this, That whatever grace configuration exists then in your leader, you become privy to and uh, you become privileged to be a participant of. And as your knowledge of that reality grows, the greater the flow of the impartation attendant with that principle will come to you, dependent on how you view it. Dependent on how you see it. Adam, or rather Eve, is literally an extension of Adam. He's literally an extension of Adam. It's not good for man to dwell alone. Everyone say alone. Alone. Break the word up up, and add another L. -L -L A-L-L-O-N-E. All one. It's not good for man to be all in one, alone. So I'll take from him a helpmeet. I'll divide him. Another part from me. So that's why you are born of my bone. You are flesh of my flesh. I don't see you as separate from me. I can't. But for you to have effective functionality, you've got to see yourself as intimately joined to me. Everyone say effective functionality. Right? So in reference to my spiritual father in the Lord, I can honestly say, I am bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. I realize there's going to be a flow of anointing and grace that will flow effortlessly and efficaciously from him to me when I realize, wow, this is a connection born in the hearts of God from before time began, and my functionality and effectiveness is going to accentuate by virtue of that connection. Do you know the men of David did feats that were far well, superior to David? Huh? His mighty men right? did, did 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 exploits that will. F- by far more significant than David yet none of them got proud and say but who, who authorizes you to lead check, check our military yeah. expressions compared to yours no they realize we are as efficient as effective as powerful as successful by virtue of a connection to you yeah. because in you God has vested grace flowing to us this proximity has taken our effectiveness and taking it to another level okay that is the, the level of, of, of understanding. So everyone say Judah. Right? And then the men of Israel, here yeah, came. All the tribe of Israel came to David at Hebron. Behold, we are bone, your bone and your flesh, verse 2. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one. Even when, the, when Paul, uh, Saul was the legitimate reigning monarch, your leadership was functioning, even though there was an irrelevant, illegitimate king. You were the one who led us out, who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, "You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be ruler over Israel." So was their joining, like I said to you on Sunday, was it born out of a momentary, uh, reflexive, off-the-cuff decision? Was it that? No. When you get when you read this, what are these men saying? we've tracked you we've studied you this joining is not an overnight thing we've watched you even when Saul was king our eyes are on you when Saul was king you were the one leading Israel in and leading Israel out so remember earlier on on Sunday from 1st Chronicles 12 we read there when the men of Judah first came and remember David said to them do you come to me in peace If you come to me to betray me to my adversaries, may God deal with you, right? And uh, the Spirit of God came upon Amasai, and He says, we are yours, O David. We are, we are yours. Peace to you, O son of Jesse, and peace to everyone here that is helping you, okay? Those, in those words, are implied, we've tracked you. And He says this word, we are here to help you, because we have seen that your God is helps you we are here to help you because you have sufficient evidence in your life in your track record that God has been helping you up to this point that these are clues for joining tell you about clues for joining you don't just join anything willy-nilly anywhere you study lest you make the biggest mistake of your life right you track do they have evidence that God is with them I don't want to join any leader that got no evidence that God is with him right now tell your neighbor are you convinced that you should be here then <laughs> i hope nobody said no i better leave now <laughs> okay you should be convinced that yes upon randolph and renee there's there's some evidence that the lord is with them the lord is guiding the lord is leading and then that should confirm your 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 commitment to to dwell near to plug into the to the grace okay then they say uh, verse three so, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. He's still at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. And they anointed David king over Israel. Hey, but wait a minute. What didn't Samuel anoint him king? You see, who's Samuel representative of? The Lord himself, not so. So, God anoints a man, but it takes men on the earth to recognize that anointing and take it to effective functionality. Right, So I'm saying to you, I know in our hearts God is convinced, we're convinced of this fact that God has called us to do great exploits in the earth. What there must grow in terms of a growing awareness in those to whom God has joined our hearts to, that will be all of you here and many others, even around the world, a greater recognition of that fact. You see, with greater recognition there comes greater leverage to do the work can david operate as king without the recognition in the men no he can't you know there was three levels of a growing recognition first by his brothers in jesse's house then by the tribe of judah three chapters later the tribe all the tribes in israel come and they coronate him as as king there's a lovely verse after this i just can't remember where it is it says and then David realized that the Lord has made him king. Only then he realized, right? And in that capacity, he could do great exploits in the kingdom through Israel and effect God's purposes in that nation and set a pattern even for which Jesus the Messiah will, will model his ministry after. Remember, God is restoring the tabernacle of, of David even in our day. Even in our day. Now, everyone say growing recognition. So from Jesse's house to the tribe to the whole nation of Israel. And I want to to ask you, church, and I want to challenge you. If God has put you here, connected to us, plugged into us, there must come a migration of our relationship from romanticism to purpose. You see, there's no question that I love you. I don't doubt that you love me. But if this relationship is all gooey, 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 mushy, 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 ma, lovey, 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 dovey. If it's purely romantic and not purposeful, the relationship must be used by God to effect purpose. Love will be the foundation. But now I sent in the spirit, God wants to raise the, 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 the characteristic of the relationship from pure devotion to full functionality tell your neighbor we have work to do we have work to do in the earth and let me just say this the scope of the work in david's life migrated with every level of elevation of his anointing the greater the recognition grew the more it released him to effect god's purposes on a far wider scale first in the house of jesse in the tribe of judah and now in the nation of israel amen how many feel and since sense recently there's been this growing elevation i can't tell you how burgeoning is the word i'm looking for busting it's burgeoning it's it's pressing it's pressing to burst the limits of its present confinement you know like when something when you blob something and it's about to pop like you blow up a ball too much like it's saying no this this place we've occupied for too long this level of, we need to grow to but to go to the next level comes a greater level of corporate recognition. Everyone say corporate recognition. It it, it must, you see, I don't doubt that there are one or two, and possibly far more than that. Um, Even more than 50% of you are convinced of this reality. But when the reality grows, the level of commitment, level of faithfulness must elevate for the level of function that we have to fulfill. Paul said like this to the Corinthians. He said, I will preach in the regions beyond you when your faith is increased i will preach i will grow beyond my measure my sphere grows o corinthians when your faith is enlarged okay so i'm beckoning the house enlarge your faith increase your nearness increase your faithfulness let me just say this now this is when i get to my point when this is a reality Guess what God is going to do from His part? He will increase the grace allotment. Remember, the broad theme of this series is the grace of God. And grace does two things, as I've painstakingly labored in teaching you. It empowers you to become all that God has, called you to be individually. And it sorry, it it makes you, it configures your sonship identity in Christ as a son of God. And secondly, it will empower you to do all that God has called you to do and I sense those two dynamics happening in our church recently there's been a corporate configuration of our sonship identity not simply as individuals but as a corporate company amen The level of oneness in the house has never been greater than what it is presently mind your neighbor we are one God has prepared the context yes it's it's love is essential hebron is the foundation but you know after hebron was secured after this, once there was national, it's not just household, not just tribal, now national recognition of who David was. David then said, seven and a half years in Hebron, now let's go to Zion. You can't go to Zion prematurely. From, Zion means fortress, place of rulership. And there he would rule for 33 years. Right? His, his rule, he would execute the will of the Lord from Jerusalem, Mount, from Mount Zion specifically. And I sense that kind of elevation um, in the Lord. But what we need now for the next phase of the journey is great grace. Megas grace. Everyone say mega grace. It's mega grace for mega purpose. Hmm? Mega grace for mega purpose. And I know God wants to download it. Uh, Acts 4 verse 32 and 33 says something beautiful. I mean, Is this understandable to everyone? Are you catching the revelation of it? More than the content of it. Huh? Catch it in your spirit. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. One heart and one soul is a biblical requirement for oneness. Everyone say one heart, one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own but that all things were common property to them. So no one claimed personal ownership, but they were willing to divest themselves of things personally owned, even relinquish of it if it's going to benefit the corporate good. Right? So there was great, that's why we stress things like hospital. If we can't be hospitable, never mind getting to this level. If you can't just give a meal, what about giving a car? What about selling something to, to benefit somebody else? The early church modeled something the present church knows nothing about. They no, nobody considered any personal item as personal ownership. If the need arose, they were willing to divest themselves even of lands, buildings, and personal items to ensure equality amongst the brethren. We still have yet to get there. That's the end, I believe. What John Ali was talking about, the community of the saints. This is where we need to, to be. Amen. So, I want to encourage you, at least practice hospitality because the demand will grow later on. <laughs> Let's put the first things in place, yeah? Yeah? Let's put the first things in place. And, and, and so that when God, that he, you see, God never asked Abraham to kill Isaac on day one. Yeah. God had to test I, Abraham through a series of tests. And ultimately, the big one came, now give me the son. The son that you love your only one sacrifice him but by, by, by the time it came to that stage Abraham's heart was so uh convinced in God that he would be a father of many nations Romans 4 actually comments that he believed that if he killed Isaac let's say he had to go through it he actually believed if I kill the boy God is compelled to raise him from the dead that's how confident the man no one gets there overnight right you don't arrive at that level of faith overnight but through a series of progressive, successive tests, he passed everyone, and progressively his faith grew to that. His faith grew to, to that level. Okay? And so the next verse says this. Watch. With great power, everyone say great power. Great power. John Ellie said something marvelous. It's stuck in my head like a, I can't remember, like a bolt of lightning. It scarred my mind forever. He said this. The one thing the early apostles were able to do after Pentecost that they were not able to do before Pentecost was not signs, wonders, and miracles. They all operated in signs, wonders, and miracles before Pentecost. Laid hands, cast out devils, etc. It wasn't the distinguishing yardstick or difference before and after Pentecost. But he said that the one thing that they could do after Pentecost that they could not do before Pentecost was to have covenant, love, and community. Even before Pentecost, they were still striving and fighting each other as about who is the greatest. There was still a spirit of competition. After Pentecost, a spirit of community, love, and covenant, um, literally, they were baptized in this. And he said this, the distinguishing mark of Pentecost is not, yes, it includes the baptism in the Spirit, uh, with, uh, where people speak in tongues and prophesy, and there's the expression of the gifts of the Spirit. But he said the notable distinguishing mark of Pentecost is not that, because there were trappings not to maybe the same degree of powerful anointings before Pentecost as after Pentecost, but he said the one thing that Pentecost secured that was insecurable before it was the Spirit of community. Everyone says, Spirit of community. Now, we just read about this, eh? Everyone loving each other to the degree where they are willing to, to help each other out. And then this verse, with great power. So, you can't have great power if you don't have great community, okay? No great power until you have great love. That's why we want to strongly on love community in the house. From this context, guess what is going to emerge? Everyone say, Great power. Great power doesn't happen in a, in a vacuum. It happens from the context of great community. You see, was David a great king? Yes or no? Did he, did he do mighty things? But how long did it take to secure covenant, community, a co- uh, a love and Hebronic relationships? Seven and a half years before he goes to Zion to do any kind of rulership. With great authority, great power. It was given to a man that proved... Uh, this principle, that those who are with him are truly bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Now here's the challenge. You can be faithful to your leader. You can love your leader. Quentin can say to me, Randolph, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Love you, join to you. But the quintessential test of that commitment is what? The degree to which he loves everybody else, join to me. That's what, that's what Amasai said. We are yours. Remember I said on Sunday? As equally as you are given to the Lord, you must be given to the servants of the Lord. They said to David, we are yours. We pledge our lives to you. Messiah said, peace to you, O son of Jesse. Peace to you, but peace to everybody else here that is with you. My, My expression and commitment of your peace. Oh, by the way, do you know how you can bring me into absolute peace? Who wants my peace? Come on. Want me in pieces. <laughs> <I'm not. laughs> you know, the more at rest I am, the more, the more it will benefit you. Yes. The more I'm at rest, I'm the more from a place of peace I can administrate the word of the Lord for you. You can bring me into great peace by ensuring your brothers are at peace with each other. Yes. If you can be the peacemaker amongst the brotherhood, the father's peace elevates. Right. Purposes of God are swiftly accomplished, right? So great power. The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and here's the thing I want to stress. Everyone say abundant grace, abundant grace. was upon them. Or put the New King James, who King James. Everyone say get abundant, abundant grace. I've been studying grace for a while now, and I always when I my first encountered this verse, I said, Lord, what will it take to get great grace? answer your neighbor. question is, what will it take to get great grace? Tell somebody next to you what you think is the answer. Come on, tell somebody. <laughs> great. We really want this, eh? Great grace was upon them all. Hmm? Great grace was upon them all. What, what, what should be the answer, more or less? Oneness. Community. Love. Covenant. Um... I want to experience this. I'm saying it as an affirmative, not just a desire. I'm saying it as an affirmative reality upon this house. Uh, Gate Ministries Durban Central is going to be known as a house in which there is great grace. And with great power, the apostolic dimension from this company will give great witness or testimony concerning the resurrection and the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's the, the, the thing that will prepare us for that dynamic is the whole understanding of how that we need to really gel together as a house. But you know, here's the principle I'm getting to. Your joining and your evaluation of each other as brothers in Christ, and having a true biblical estimation of what your your brother represents in the Lord can never ever be secured outside of your individual commitment to your father in the Lord. Yeah. To get this result requires a fathering grace in the presence of brothers. Because brothers left to themselves will not have the proper biblical view of each other. It takes a father to configure one son's mindset in reference to his other son, which is his brother. And I, I've explained this at length previously. So the father would say to the older son, concerning the prodigal. Remember the prodigal came back? And what was the the biggest hindrance to the younger son's reintegration back into his father's household? What was the biggest hindrance? It wasn't the father. Father's arms were, hey, the biggest hindrance was a, a brother with an inaccurate view in reference to his brother, which is his father's other son. It takes a fatherly presence... In the midst of brothers, to impact every brother's view of each other so that every brother has the view of his father in reference to his brother. Right? So, the, um, never once does the youngest son ever refer to his brother as my brother. Not once. When he speaks to the father, he always says, your son. Your son. When your son. Picture, if you were to make a movie of this, I would say, hey, yours, not mine, your son. I've nothing to do with him, your son. How does the father respond? He doesn't say, my son he says, your brother. Your brother was lost. Your brother returned. What is the father trying to do? The father is trying to impress upon the son, uh, the older brother, you must have my view yeah. in, about your, your brother. It takes fatherly presence. True fatherly grace to impact and scar the mind of every son to have the proper estimation of the, the other son. Amen. Amen. This morning we were chatting with Rakim and Viz over breakfast. And uh, this issue came up of, uh, of how, um, remember after Jacob's death, Joseph requested a leave of absence from the Pharaoh to, with the brothers to go journey back to Canaan, Israel, and to bury their father there remember when they arrived there one of the brothers was sent to speak to Jacob on behalf of the rest of the brothers and uh, they said tell him that our it was our father's request that he forgives us (laughs) what were they they were shaking now well let me ask you the question had Joseph already forgiven them? yes there was reconciliation but what was their concern? Their concern was, in the absence of a fatherly presence, will the brother change his disposition towards us? Right? And Joseph proved that even when my father is not on the scene, I will behave in reference to you, my brothers, just as my father would have wanted. So it doesn't change his position. You know? Many Christians serve well under supervision. But you take supervision away they do their own thing (laughs) like in school laurel you know i used to do in quentin and other teachers here when we supervise classes relief classes right a class left unattended without teacherly supervision goes haywire you need you need supervision unfortunately some christians only behave when there's a supervisor right you take the supervisory principle away. The question is, will you still do the right thing outside of, you know, I've seen sometimes how people in reference to spiritual fathers will only be faithful and seen to, be seen to be doing the right thing simply because dad is around. Take dad away, then the principles win. I want to encourage all of you. Your loyalty is not to me. Your loyalty is to your heavenly Father, whose principles I simply express and carry through. Even in my physical absence, you should still have the same proper love and respect for each other as when I'm... You know what Paul said, I think it was to the Corinthians, or to one of the the, the churches in the New Testament. He said, I'm glad that you obeyed my word more so in my absence than in my presence. You are true to the principle, more so in my absence than in my presence now everyone say corporate grace right corporate grace right unfortunately i will not get to where i want to go because of time but listen carefully on sunday i'll probably wrap this thought up uh, sunday i really want to get to second king six which we've been trying to get to to the past for the past three weeks right uh, please uh, for your homework before sunday read 2 king six lovely beautiful story of how the sons of elijah everyone say sons so the one sons. corporate request for him to increase the place where they dwell near to him. right? And you'll see a whole lot of bunch of principles or things that happen in that context. But just look at Psalm 133 quickly. Psalm 133 is a very powerful depiction of this reality. And um, I have a long teaching on it, but I'll just give you one or two principles. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Unity, there's a bad translation. It should be oneness the same is true for ephesians 4 and so we all come to the unity of the faith the word unity there in the greek literally means one or oneness so behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in oneness now we know that that's impossible like i've just demonstrated outside of fatherly influence remember i keep giving you that example of paul Onesimus and Philemon, or Philemon. Remember, the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon was estranged. Onesimus was employed by this businessman Philemon, and he had not a leave of absence right, without permission. He proved unprofitable, unproductive in the workplace, and he, he ran away without permission. And this relationship between these two uh, was strained. In the process, he meets Paul at Rome, Onesimus. Gets converted, becomes a son of God, and is now a spiritual son to the apostle, Paul. So Paul uses his fatherly influence to write that short letter in the New Testament, called the book of Philemon. He's writing to the business owner, and he says, He left you an unprofitable servant, but now please take him back, not as a servant, but as your brother. Right? But without Paul's influence, Philemon, Philemon, would still have an outdated view of Onesimus. What does it take to upgrade one son's view about the other son? A father. A father influences the mindset outside of that dynamic. Left, let me tell you, left to themselves, brothers will kill each other. <laughs> they need fatherly, uh, and, and once, you know, a true son. You see, the older brother was really the infant brother in the house, in the, the parable of the, of the prodigal. Who, who, was, who had the greatest problem there? Not the younger son. The biggest, the person that needed the most help was the older brother. Right? He's in the house. Right? Remember? He came to the house of his father, but the younger son came to the father of the, of the house. You can be in the house of your father and never ever come into knowing the heart of your father in the house. And I think we've painstakingly demonstrated to you how you should behave in reference to others by how we treat everybody else. So have the same mind as we have in reference to to everybody else. When you do this church, I want to encourage you. That is how you dwell near. One of the ways in which you dwell near is you treat your brother as your father would treat him as a son. You come into what the scripture calls great grace. So, I practice this with, with Thamo, Pastor Thamo's household. He has many pastors. So, when we meet together, you know what, we, how I position myself am, amongst them? I don't just come in there and say, oh, My Bruce. I'll say, If father was here with us now, how, he, how would he treat everybody? I adopt that view. And I will even make financial sacrifices for their benefit because that is what my father would do. So, I do the same. Right? That's what my father would do. And, and when that culture is, is, is really spawned and, and matures, guess what the Lord gives? Great grace. Great grace was upon them, them all, okay? I've heard of a bunch of other things. Let me just finish with this and then we'll dismiss, right? Five minutes. Tell your neighbor five minutes. Right. Time runs away when you're enjoying yourself. <laughs> Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in oneness or unity, right? It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. Now, when you think of this, everyone say precious oil. Now, the anointing oil had five distinct ingredients. The oil that was used to anoint Aaron the high priest. Now, the anointing of the high priest was for function. Everyone say function. That is why I say oneness, yes, there's love. It must migrate now to functionality. So Jesus would say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me in Luke. For he has uh, anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, etc. Deliverance to those that are bound. In other words, anointing is upon me to do. Whenever you say I'm anointed, next question I will ask you is, so what are you doing? (laughs) Because anointing is not for goosebumps, make you feel good. So what are you doing? So ask your neighbor, so what are you doing? Right? It's, it's like anointing is for functionality. It, every anointing, if you say, I'm getting an anointing, you must, there must be purpose. What are you doing? So the high priest here had a representative function in the nation of Israel in that it represented God to the people. And when it stood before God, it represented the people to God. It was like a bilateral function dualistic thing so when Aaron stood before the people he represented God when he stood before God he represented the whole nation remember on his breastplate what was on Aaron's breastplate 12 stones on each stone was engraved the names of the 12 tribes of Israel so when the one man stood before God when God saw him and engaged him God is engaging the whole nation so what is oneness like an unto here think oneness is likened unto the anointing upon a high priestly function that is focused on representation on a whole group of people to confer blessing redemption and immunity upon them all if we can get oneness right we get all of that we get all of that and i like this Uh, sometime maybe i don't know when we're going to get to it we'll do a study of the pieces each garment each piece of his garment do you know there was very little flesh seen if you've ever seen a picture of how the high priest were robed it was like from head to to toe right the edge of his skirts literally were hanging on the floor you could literally only see his eyes right God said no flesh in my sight I robe you I mantle you I grace you so oneness is poured on where on the head there are two images here. Everyone say head. So it's head. And edge of, this, of his robes or this, his skirt, that's the hem. The edge of the, is the hem. So we call it the head hem principle. The point is, whatever is in the head will be in the hem. So long as there is connectedness seamlessly at every stage in his body. So the head flows on the, is put on the head, hits the beard. If you, lovely to study the imagery of beard in the Bible. One of the, one of, one of the symbolism of beard is dignity. In the old covenant, to wear a beard was a mark of respect, honor, regality, dignity, and nobility. So when it references here, the anointing oil on his head that hits his beard. It means for us that God can raise the level of nobility. The, the level of honor and esteem that people have of you will, will accentuate if you get the principle of oneness right, right. And so it grows to the rest of the body and it finds its way. I like this. Everyone say finds its way. The, the edge its way. You see the edge of the skirt is the furthest point from the head. It's the last point. And if there's a gravitational flow downward, where will the collection be? At the edge. It means the the person that you deem furthest from the center. So I'm speaking symbolically now. We must seek to be the the person that we seek to impact the most. To to bless the most. I think that this level of oneness is going to be upon us all. You see, um, Acts 4 says, and great grace was upon them all. Arise, shine for your... Light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you, right? Upon all of you, okay? And I want to encourage the church. I know God is going to increase the grace content of our house for functionality. But our oneness will be forged around a fatherly principle, which is not really a man. All we are saying is, each brother in the house must assert and adopt all the principles that the Father, who is representative of the Heavenly Father, will bring to us. And we see each other as God sees us esteeming what Corinthians says, even the, the, the members that are less are, are the least um, um have the least esteem, you are called even the greater honor. If in your mind right now is anybody in this context which you deem using any characteristic or, or criteria that you want. But let's say you deem anyone here as lesser than the most of us. Then the Bible says, upon that very person, you must accord even the greater honor. Even the greater respect and accord. This is what it truly means when anointing flows even to the edge of the skirt. Even to the person furthest away from the principles vested in the head. That person is also included. I want to say prophetically today to all of us. I don't care what your deficiency is I don't care where you are right now in your walk with the Lord if you truly get a revelation of this principle whatever is in this head will be in that hymn and I speak to you prophetically by the spirit I don't care whether you've messed up recently whether you've made mistakes I don't care whether you've got no desire you're worried about your relationship with God all I'm saying to you you come into a corporate process individuals get corporate blessing Amen. the worst thing to do is to stand apart from the body of christ of which you should be an essential part of tell you to be a part of don't stand apart from when okay? so you lock into this dynamic wow it's like the the corporate dynamic of the blessing will overtake even your individual deficiency you see um uh, I, I give this example offering. I'll close with this. I was running the Comrades Marathon uh, many years ago. Things I used to do, I do them no more. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we were very really brave in those years, but I wouldn't dare try it now. And uh, um, I attempted on two occasions. First attempt, I bailed to a leg injury halfway. Second attempt, I completed it. But on the second attempt, we were running up in Changa from Marisburg down to the down run. And just before the pick and pay halfway mark, there's that steep inchanga climb. You get to the top and you, once you're at the top, you see the pick and pay halfway cut off and you run down. Once you pass that, you know, oh, now I'm just next phase of the journey. So I realized, hey, I'm, I'm even fighting this cutoff time. And things are looking bad. And I got this heel in front of me. And I worked out the distance. I knew my time and distance. This heel is going to set me back big time. It was it was. It was really fine. But a bus came past of a, an Africana athletics club from Bloemfontein somewhere. All burrs, And some of them had big paunches. You know, you get very humble when you run. Very humble. You think you're slim trim and athletic? Until a, a, a big guy with a pot comes running past your house of brew. <laughs> the then you know that fitness is not in appearance. Fitness is a matter of the hole of the heart <laughs> and so this guy saw me oh, huffing and puffing we call it a bus a bus is an athletic term for those of you who don't know a bus is a group of runners that run in company <laughs> it's an athletic term like hit the wall it's another running term hit the wall is when you run you hit a wall It's like you just stop and you're like, you can't carry on It's like you, you just fail your legs fail and we use the term he hit the wall so this bus of runners came past and they came around me they said, kombrou, kombrou. And they literally surrounded me. And they said, let's go up in the middle. So I had to keep momentum. It's amazing what group momentum does to an individual. So now it's not left to my individual strength. And we chanted up, "Faspeit Amperdar, Fasbait Amperdar. Um, there was the chant Fasbait Amperdar, Fasbait Amperdar. In no time with a chopper in Janga. I could see the, I said, wow, down you, let's, let's go for it, let's go for it. And that year I finished purely based on the power of corporate momentum. So I'm saying no matter what your individual issues are, if you can come into the power of the group anointing, there's great grace in covenant. There's great grace in oneness. great grace that can cause you to override some of your individual weaknesses and deficiencies. Uh, Tell your neighbor, give it a try. Give it a try. Not the comrades. I'm talking about the comrades, right? Okay, go <laughs> I'm saying, give the the corporate dynamic, give the oneness a try, and see what great grace <laughs> will be upon us. Okay, maybe give the comrades a try too. James is sitting at the back. there. James is a triathlete. That's another level. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Amen. Our Father, we just thank you for your word today for to our hearts we lift our hands because we realize that without you we cannot do it and that we need you God I ask God for great grace to be upon our community this fellowship great grace will attend us even now as we've heard your word by revelation we sense your speaking I ask that uh, the corporate dynamic and power attendant in this house will cause us to overcome hurdles that we are facing individually. I decree, O God, even now that when people face private problems, private mountains, that they will feel the great grace that issues forth from the corporate company of the saints of God in this house. I pray that financial problems will be eroded in the name of the Lord. I pray impasses in the workplace will be eroded even now by our declaration in the name of the lord jesus christ i pray where are there are relational uh heartaches and hurt in references to others i pray the love the oneness that emits and flows from this place will so empower us when we face faced by ourselves with these things that we will sense the corporate atmosphere even in our aloneness we will not be alone for we will sense power of of the company of God's people and the resident grace attendant with that I thank you that even when David went to fight Goliath he did not go alone but he went in the power of the tribal grace that backed him the tribe of Judah whose anointing was on the hand and and whose hand is on the neck of their enemies father I pray that this grace be upon us all I decree success I decree breakthroughs for every single family For every single person in the name of the Lord. I pray that none of us will ever feel alone. Not again. None of us will ever feel marginalized. Even those of us who are at the edge of the skirts, God, will feel the concentrated anointing of of, of the precious oil that comes upon a, a, a people that are one in soul, one heart, one mind, and one spirit in the name of Jesus. Make us one. That's our prayer, God. Make us one with each other, one with you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.